Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, my name is Will Young. What's your name? My name is Christopher Sweeney. <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of season one oh, of Homo Sapiens. I've got pins and needles. Oh, you know when you stand up and you feel like your leg's not there. Shit! Ow! We come to you this week live and direct from Will's dressing room in Blackpool. It looks wonderful. We've got throws from Sri Lanka on the sofa. Yes. Lots of crystals on the windowsill mm-hmm. and some sort of essential oils that will what, never be used. What flavour? Uh, it's lavender and some cream that I rub into my feet. It's so delicate. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it has such delicate skin. Um, Walk me through your rider. I've seen a rider. <laughs> the rider I've eaten is, most of it. It's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got satsumas, we've got Percy pigs, we've got... There's healthy things, and then to offset it, there's all the unhealthy things. Yeah. In riders, which is the things that you asked to be in your dressing room before... Yeah, but I had to buy those. So I don't that, get riders. You don't have a rider? No. Should I have a rider? Fucking hell yeah, you're on tour. I had a rider in pop, but that was the shittest rider ever. Do you remember at Glastonbury, and Muse were there? Oh. And they had... An entire bar built yeah. with like an actual physical bar with fridges of beers and wine behind it. Plants. Tables, plants. We went in thinking it was just the bar. We were like, hi, can I get a two amp store, please? And then we were ushered out by yeah. a bodyguard saying, no, this is Muse's, this is just Muse's house. And I couldn't help but think. Not wankers. Even. Yeah. But you couldn't, could you? I'm sure they're not wankers. Why am I being judgmental? Well, that's because I've had a Percy Pig. Come on, let's be honest, it didn't look great. I mean, who... who what would Evis Who do? are we to talk? We were in the VIP area in Winnebago. People probably looking at us thinking... What idiot. I'll refrain that. Me thinking Tosser in his, <laughs> in his Batman wellies. Did you have Batman wellies? I did, yeah. Where did they go? Um, I took an E and then I lost them. <laughs> <laughs> but did, really? did come back with a Tina Turner wig. So, com si, com sa. Coming up is our interview, but Chris does it with Ben Roberts, who is head of the BFI Film Fund. Ben is the man, along with his colleagues, who decides where the BFI spend their lottery funding, and that is on supporting marginal voices in film. He was involved with that film Pride, which was about... Well, the gay community supporting the minors. I had a really interesting experience on the day that Pride came out. I'd read all of the reviews, five-star reviews everywhere. I said to my partner, look, I think we should go to our local multiplex tonight and we should go and buy tickets for Pride. Mm. We might as well have been buying tickets for some kind of hardcore gay sex film. 
It's the BFI London Film Festival this week, which has been an incredibly supportive voice in LGBTQ plus cinema. And he talks a lot about LGBTQ plus voices, both in front of the camera and also behind the camera. We're not there because mm. we haven't got superheroes who happen to be gay. We don't have rom-coms that are not marketed on the basis of them being the first this or the first mm. that. I wanted to go and talk to Ben because, well, he's a gay man. I think he's actually a really influential and positive force in cinema. And cinema is how a lot of us have our first contacts with other worlds. My conversation with Ben Roberts coming up. Ben is a really candid person. He isn't afraid to say a lot of things that you wouldn't expect to hear. So he talks brilliantly about the film Young Soul Rebels and how it was his sexual awakening. He said something really interesting, which people are talking about a lot at the moment. He said if he was young now, he says he wouldn't have gone to films like that. He would have gone to porn and that would have been his sexual awakening. And the availability of porn now is something that people are talking about a lot. And it's creating really unrealistic expectations of sex among all younger people. It's not just LGBTQ+. Mm, Degradation of the other person quite often. Have you been looking at my history? No, um, I've noticed that on, sorry, go on. I've noticed that on porn sites. Well, yeah, there's a lot of that kind of... And it, what it does is... Um, psychotherapist was saying that that releases an endorphin that is way up above the endorphins that are released by sex with a partner because sex with a partner is actually... It can be messy and wet and smelly and awkward and all these things. And people are now finding that sex is almost too... It's too real for them. So they have this really unrealistic expectation of what people should be like in sex. But I have noticed on when... So I when I watch porn, which I do, not as bad as I used to, the most viewed that come up on the website are now all porn that's uh, one person is degrading someone else. And dominating someone else. Yeah. Well, I couldn't oh, believe it. Yes. I've I was got- just looking for a... A hot little builder, you know. <laughs> I was just I was tapping that into the search engine, yeah. straight builder, tap 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 tap, <laughs> and it all came up this. And I thought, oh gosh, that's a real reflection. I haven't had a chance to look around Blackpool. What are your findings so far? Well, I have been here quite a few times before, mm-hmm. and there is an element of faded glory about it. Mm. It's like the land that time's forgotten. Mm-hmm. So we're in the palace next door to the Winter Gardens, yeah. And literally, you step outside the stage door and we're in this kind of beautiful glass beautiful glass kind of weird land but it's all like art deco i feel a bit like i'm on the titanic yes Mm. it's just odd but i kind of love it because it's really british i've been out taking photos oh yeah that was it you were telling me i take the best thing about being famous is that people want their photograph taken Ah. people kept on going i will can i have my photograph taken literally it's like oh this is easy i don't have to sneak behind a bin You've been taking portraits of people. I don't know how to use my camera, so I just keep on pressing buttons and then seeing if it looks any different. I saw a couple and I thought they were great. And what was making me laugh? I did think they were good. Mm. What I thought was hilarious was I knew that I reckon about three photos in, you had already imagined the entire launch exhibition of the whole Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's curated it's, by the National Portrait Gallery. Yeah. Maybe it's a champagne yeah. reception. Yeah, it's modern Britain. What the hell are Prince Harry and William doing here? Yeah, yeah. it's modern Britain. Like, why is no Britain? one taking pictures of bins before Yeah, in, in town centres? And then by the fourth picture being over, you're like, I hate photography. I don't yes. anymore. 
There are a few good ones, though. While we're talking, I'll show you one of my squirrel that I took. That's not a metaphor. Um, (laughs) Out he comes to play. (laughs) Burying those nuts for autumn. (laughs) Can I tell you? You're going to love this. I finally listened to Drake. Oh, yeah. When I listen to Drake, I think of you. Really? Yeah. Wow. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His lyrics. Yeah. He's not an idiot. Squirrel. Oh, let's have a look. Are you sure that's not just a piece of dust? No, it's out of focus, but look how arty it is. Look at the shadow of the squirrel. Is it on grass? Yes. A long way away? Oh, no one likes it. God. No, no. I hey. think that's beautiful. Look at that. It's stunning. It is beautiful. Look at all the swirls and the shadows. Yes. The problem with it is, um, starting with two positives, sorry, I love the texture, I love the colours, uh, but you can't... It looks like a close-up of a piece of fluff on a thing. But that, but that's okay, which is what's really nice about it. You've all absolutely destroyed my picture. No, 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 so, no, 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 no. I so no. happy no, with no. it. Do you know what it was? I just, Come in. I was expecting to see a proper squirrel. Hello. Hi. Uh, Louise has just walked in. Hi. She's leaving her mics for me. Um, I can't believe just coming. Are you doing something important? We're doing a podcast. Oh, hey, podcast. Yes. Okay. I'll see you in a minute. All right. Thank you for that. She see just gave me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Have I gone a bit red now she's kissed me? Um, go on. Are you going to take a picture of me? Yeah. Keep talking. Um, Doesn't want to take the picture. Bad women blame their tools. <laughs> the lens as well. Will's got a very big, long lens Yeah, on I it. think that's why they're not... Oh, no. The lens says... I'm having an exhibition. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going in because I know I'm going to win the photography version of the Pulitzer Prize. I've had this camera for five years. Is that the one? Oh, that's the one you took. Doesn't want to take pictures. Um, Blackpool. So I'm obsessed with mobility scooters. Oh, yes. You had one in your show. Yeah. I have never seen so many mobility scooters in my life. I just have to get on people's mobility scooters. Really? I can't help it. Did you get on one? Yes, I've been on two. Oh. Because, you know, I take pictures and I send them to my dad. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because that's what we do. And then he gets in funny, like we get in those Postman Pat vans outside Asda's and we we squeeze into them. I mean, my dad's six foot four and then we get, have to get a stranger to take a picture. Really? Yeah. And that's then we send amazing. Him. I know. So you've got a whole collection. His best one. You could do an exhibition. So I... Go- <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> oh my god! I'm honestly, my confidence has gone has has through the rocketed. Yeah, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. Show you all. Um, I thought I beat my dad because I had a picture on a tank in oh, Oxford. Brilliant. He then goes all the way to an airfield in Cornwall to have a picture in a tornado. <laughs> really? He drives all the way. That's why I love your dad. I know. Because I'm, life will always be fun if you take that much joy in it. Exactly. But how that. did I get to my dad? Yeah, there's so many mobility scooters. I just can't help. I actually tried to start one. Did you? Is, well, there are lots of different types. Oh, you, sorry, in my head, people were in them. What, and I sat on top of them? Or just behind <laughs> them or next to them. I Come on, know. Mavis. Yeah. It is our last episode of the season for the podcast. How do you feel, William? We have interviewed some amazing people. We've um, learned a lot. Um, Favourite moment from the past 12 episodes, if you can think of one. Russell T. Davis. I was going to say that. He's just the first person that springs to mind. I just loved meeting him. I think he's an incredible person. Russell T. Davis and bringing cakes round to Peter Tatchell. Yes. Most nerve-wracking. What was our first first one? Owen. I was nervous. 
the most nervous I was is when we put it out because we look we did this as an impulsive decision no we said let's just do a podcast and we didn't know if anyone was gonna like it and it's been a lesson in if you feel like doing something just go for it yes that's what I was thinking today was like, with the photography you just <laughs> everyone's being so horrible about my photography that wasn't mean that you was see, me as mean you think you're being mean no it wasn't <laughs> my poor my photographs I love that squirrel I think it's really you're all laughing you're all laughing at my squirrel it's not. you're all laughing at my oh. squirrel everyone else is <laughs> I'm having a Percy pig um, it is about just doing things so we thought we would throw it out for the episode 12 we'd ask our listeners what's the most crazy impulsive thing you have ever done um, what did they say? Bridge TJ76 moved to the other side of the country in the hope that the man I fancied might feel the same. And he did. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I once went to New York, met this guy in New York, really liked him, thought he really liked me. And then he said, come back to New York. I'd love to see you. So I said, oh, I'm coming back. to. I, I need to be in New York next week or whatever. This is like a few months after he'd written that email. I said, oh, funny enough, I'm coming to New York. But, you know, super cash, like might be around. I don't know. So I'll let, I'll let you know when I land. I go there with my friend and um, he basically ghosted me for the entire trip and I never saw him. No. Yeah, and I, the, only, the whole reason I'd gone was that. But you see, now I feel like a different person did that because I was an idiot to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What's the most reckless thing you've ever done for love? Oh, oh, I had sex in a Grundon. In a Grundon bin? Mm. I remember this. You told mm. that on Buzzcocks, didn't you? Yeah. And then they posted you one. They posted me a mini Grundon, which was a pencil sharpener. <laughs> I was so happy. For yeah. those who don't know what a Grundon is. It's a giant wheelie bin. It's like those industrial wheelie bins, right? You yep. had sex in one. The sex was industrial, let me tell you. <laughs> did yeah. it have bin juice in the bottom? Um, it was, um, uh, yes, it did. <laughs> Witchy Boo says, eaten an Easter egg and blamed it on the children. I quite like that. My dad always used to eat all of our Easter eggs before he ate his own. It drove me mad. Come in! <laughs> Lynn's back. Lynn's here. Hi, Lynn. Lynn Hi. appeared in Wimbledon and she's back again. It's a whole travelling roadshow, this, isn't it? It is. What's Lynn bringing? My boots. My wee booties. Lynn, yes? what's the most reckless thing you've ever done? The most reckless? Yeah. I got on with uh, my sister's doll's hair off once. Ooh, did <laughs> you? Was that... She got a better doll than me. <laughs> you really? Lynn? Was, so you, you were angry? I was playing hairdresser, so I just took them out into the garbage <laughs> and stopped them. <laughs> I did. Wow. When you say you were playing hairdressers, you were a jealous hairdresser. Yeah. You know, I sat and I went, oh, it's not even. <laughs> what no. did your sister say? She wasn't amused. <laughs> You're going to become the star of this podcast. <laughs> I know, Pankita said, he says, oh, I heard you the last time. I went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> really? They probably don't understand a word I say. What was that? What was that? <laughs> Fine. Bye. I was going to show my squirrel photograph to see if she liked it. So when other people are seeing it and they're going, that's really great, are they lying? No, no one, nobody said it was bad. You, la- just, you all laughed. You, you sniggered. You showed it to me. It didn't look like a squirrel. It wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting that's, that's a squirrel up a tree. Great aunt. Yeah. Great aunt. Great art. Think about great my aunts. Great aunts. They never look like great aunts. 
Now it's time for our chat with Ben Roberts, head of the BFI Film Fund. The BFI is the British Film Institute. I went to their office. I went to Ben's office. I'm sorry that I couldn't make that. Listen, you've got a show to do. I know, I was in the midst of rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Um, when we started this podcast, you said you want to interview people who are progressive. And I think he's someone who is progressive behind the scenes. Yeah. And obviously the people that know him, know him. So I think he's a really imp- important person to interview. So I'm jealous. Second thing is, does he have a nice office? He's got a really nice office. You know, like good film posters, vintage film posters. It's got a glass wall, nice glass table with chrome legs. You know when you're like, this is an... I'd like this office. (laughs) What I can't stress enough is that people don't often talk as candidly as he does. And he's a really nice person who has got no agenda, actually. And that is the people who make the world go round, in my opinion. And as ever, do I ever turn out empty-handed? No, I do not. So I took Ben some cake. Also, it sounds a little bit like he ate some of it, but I can report that I think it was only me who ate all of it because he was on some special diet. <laughs> That's very funny. Here's my conversation with Ben Roberts. Do you remember the first gay film you ever saw? I do, actually. On telly, TV was like great discovery space where... Yeah. Channel 4 you know you used to have a lot more films just shown on TV full stop mm. so the first gay film I saw was Young Soul Rebels mm-hmm. and how old were you then? I was probably 14, 15 mm. A it was British it was quite punk I mean it was it was new to me in lots of ways actually because I was I'm quite I'm a sort of vanilla guy mm. like it or not there was no kind of queerness in my life mm. All my friends were straight. Well, I haven't seen it recently. I don't actually know whether it's a very good film. I mean, but this in particular just struck me. A, because two men kissed and had sex Mm. on screen. Yeah. And that was, I mean, I wasn't wasn't fully aware of my own sexuality at that point, but that was probably a big kind of moment. I mean, it was illicit. I didn't, we didn't sit around and watch it as a family. Yeah. It was me somehow, I mean, I didn't even know how I got to it. There were no phones. Yeah. There was no, didn't have, there was no internet. <laughs> I always wonder, like, what were the clues that, of that being on TV that led me to it? And I, I kind of regret, in a way, that TV doesn't still kind of just present you with mm. these kind of absolute cultural artefacts or kind of moments of queerness or whatever it is where mm. you're, you're not making the choice. Really, I also think maybe today I wouldn't have gone to Young Soul Rebels. I'd have gone to porn. Yeah, that's really interesting because it was a much more kind of rich experience because it was a relationship. It was, and actually, yeah. that film is not just about kind of two gay characters. It was about a kind of melting pot. It was not isolating being gay. Mm-hmm. It was actually presenting gay characters with straight friends. Yeah, right. Whereas if I'd sort of gone straight to porn mm. you'd have just been presented with a very sort of exclusive world which kind of limited the experience to gay sex it was probably an early signal to me that I cared a lot about cinema and mm. film and I still believe very strongly in cinema as this sort of gateway to you know relatable experiences or completely unrelatable experiences mm. but you can kind of lose yourself in it We'd spoke to Russell T Davies and he was saying that there's a lot more gay characters on TV, let's say, now. Yeah. But in a way, he feels that perhaps someone has to come out on EastEnders or the equivalent every four years for it to continue to be normal. It's not like we've reached a watershed. It's just that it has to be 
in the public conversation, mm-hmm. it will always recede away. To me, there's still sort of types mm. on screen, sort of film or TV, and there's the gay clown, which I still think that TV is very guilty of. No one has yet entirely successfully removed the sexuality of a character. I cannot think immediately mm. of an example of a character in film or TV where their narrative is completely divorced mm. from their sexuality. So on soaps, they're often defined by, I mean, maybe this is soaps for you, but they're sort mm. of defined by relationships. They're kind of defined by the fact that someone's going to discover something about them. There's an element of Secret. kind of, it's, it's illicit on mm. one part or the other, or the story is that they're accepted but still, the narrative is still kind of very much kind of connected to the notion of not being out, coming out. Mm. It's still defined by your sexuality. Unless the world is almost exclusively a gay world. So the worlds that Russell creates sometimes mm. are gay worlds. And mm. So you're dealing with, you know, you've got a set parameters, so that's not the story. The story has to be something else. Mm. I think someone told me recently our mode of I was quoted as saying you know you're not interesting because you're gay Mm. and there's a lot of truth in that you can't just kind of a lot of people do but you can't just put someone in into a story because they're gay and I still think that the soaps cast gay characters as somewhat kind of exotic yeah they arrive on the square and they shake things up and someone is turned on by it and they have sex and then they break up so we're not there because mm. we haven't got superheroes who happen to be gay. Mm. We haven't got romantic... We don't have rom-coms that are not marketed on the basis of them being the first this or the first mm. that. When I was at Universal, we were involved in um, an attempt to make a lesbian working title film right. called Imagine Me and You which was based around a relationship between a florist in, I, I'm guessing, Primrose Hill, but mm. could have been somewhere interchangeable, yeah. and another character who I believe was sort of in a marriage, sort of straight marriage, and this kind of awakened their sexuality, their true sexuality. But there wasn't enough going on for it to be anything more than the lesbian version of the thing that had been done before. So mm. it wasn't kind of, I guess... I'll have lesbian friends who think that film is great because it speaks to them but truthfully it wasn't was it doing so I think there's more to do than just kind of introduce a gay character on screens every four years Mm. because what who are you introducing and Mm. what are they doing well it's like you know Will and Grace is coming back isn't it and you think how dated Jack and that whole thing will seem, I don't yeah. know how that will be tackled. I don't know. I mean, look, I actually really like Will and Grace. Me too. <laughs> and, I'll, and I like Jack as a yeah. character, and I'll probably find it very funny, and yeah. it will be kind of like comfort food. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it, that just, to me, sits in the the current trend for revisiting... The, you know, someone's decided there's great value in revisiting noughties. Mm. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's Jack was the sort of screaming guy who was always kind of having lots of sex off screen mm. Will was the sort of straight man straight basically. man basically yeah Jack's classic gay clown mm. like you would not have seen him in bed no. I don't think you'd have seen him talking about sex a lot mm. but would you ever have seen him having sex or having had sex no or kissing someone 
And it's funny because it is a TV trope, like you say. Like there are also a lot of people who were like that. You know, my mother's generation. My mum is seven, six years. You know, she had gay mates who, because it kind of was considered gross to be gay, so they made themselves funny. Yeah. So they could say they were gay, but as long as I don't do any of that gross shit or talk about that gross stuff. So in a way, Jack represents those people. And perhaps our next generation won't have those people because you're taught from a young age yeah. that what you do is not wrong or, you know. I hope so. I mean, I think if you look at, I know we're sort of talking about TV now, but I think even if you look at sort of our gay chat show hosts, mm. they're comfortable. Whether it's Graham Norton, Alan Carr, Paul O'Grady, mm. they're very sort of housewife friendly. Yeah. Actually, because there's an element of their overall kind of approach to humour and gossip, which mm. is quite, you know, ornery mm. in lots of ways. It's sort of very yeah. kind of comfortable afternoon chat. Mm. But where's the kind of gay chat show host who is not that and actually may be in a really difficult Mm. relationship in the press and Mm. when will the son start calling a gay man's partner their partner and not their lover it still annoys me that Paul Burrell who I have no kind of particular empathy for but Mm. when Paul Burrell comes out after having been with a partner for 20 years the, the son talks about his lover. Mm. It's so salacious. Yes, yeah. His lover, his partner. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's Chris, my lover. Yeah. You know, we're stuck, actually. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, I, what I observed Graham Norton slightly dodged a question about relationships on the show. I thought, oh, isn't that funny that he doesn't go there? Yeah. And that could be to do entirely not to have been gay, just be his personal life. But yeah, it, it very much felt like, you know, Alan Carr is that silly sausage in the end. And it makes me think of actor Luke Evans. They've just done another article about him being gay. And you're like, he came out about 15 years ago. Yeah. And they're still doing a whole thing. It, I, it's never affected my work and things. And but I wonder whether the teams around people like Luke Evans mm. are somewhat responsible for perpetuating the narrative because they've engaged in an element of concealment. I mean, mm. he kind of came out and then I sense that he sort of went slightly back in. Mm. And then you're just kind of feeding the notion of needing to kind of uncover something about somebody. We talk a lot about more gay characters in film more gay gay characters in TV but is it actually people in your position is it your job to put more of them in Uh, at the BFI we're we're not a commissioner so Mm. we have a very particular 
approach, which is that we look to sort of building the careers of filmmakers who we think are going to be progressive mm. in approach. So our narrative is around filmmaking that is outside the mainstream, that is progressive in one form or another, whether it's the kind of approach to how they're making the film, whether it's what they're saying. And from that, it will f- hopefully feel like less of an insincere mm insertion of this or that and actually come from a very kind of genuine place which is where I think films like Moonlight just kind of spring from no sort of choreography around what they're doing or why and I'd love us to be making more films like that Mm -hmm. it's interesting there are a lot of gay men in big decision making roles and actually do you ever find that that makes you shy away from stuff as well that doesn't feel like it's too much on your own agenda yeah maybe I mean we did some work recently where you can imagine we hand out public money so people are always asking us you know what are we spending our money on and what are our statistics Mm. of kind of support for women for filmmakers with disabilities filmmakers who don't work in London Mm. and actually I was sort of broadly quite pleased and then to my horror the area where I had been completely sort of derelict of duty <laughs> was around kind of gay filmmakers. Really? We were, we were kind of under where we needed to be. Now, I can't entirely put that down to the decisions we made because we don't commission stuff per se. So there always need to be other market forces yeah. in the mix on the films that kind of get to the point where they're... But there's also a thing of the law... ...can be made. Mm. So it said something about probably what assumptions I was making and we were making Mm. about how fine everything was. But I think it probably also said something about how niche gay cinema may still be considered to be by kind of those commercial entities that put films in front of audiences and invest in them. And then I would say, on top of that, the number of gay men that we'd supported was still far higher than the number of gay women Mm. that we'd supported. If I was a a gay woman filmmaker, would I feel like my opportunities were even more limited because I'm even kind of further defined by my sort of sexuality? Well, definitely, because trying to find a gay female filmmaker to talk to for this has been really, really hard. Yeah, Um, it is definitely a kind of an unspoken hierarchy I mean we didn't get into trouble but I'm surprised in a way that we didn't when we supported Peter Strickland to make the Duke of Burgundy Mm. which is a straight guy making a film about women in a sexual relationship with each other Mm. and I'd say it's probably the kind of strongest piece of lesbian cinema that we have supported Mm. certainly during my time here interestingly he doesn't define it as lesbian because Mm. it exists in a world where there are no men Mm. so he is sort of saying I can't define them as lesbians Mm. because there is no there is nothing else but nevertheless there is often lots of talk around kind of permissions to tell certain types of story you know what's your permission as a straight guy to tell a 
story about two women in a kind of deeply sexual power relationship mm. and I think he was very anxious about it as well and I know I mean I've got gay girlfriends who absolutely love that film and mm. don't kind of care about its authorship at all but it kind of it, it's a it's a kind of political issue if we haven't supported any kind of gay women filmmakers in the same mm. period it's interesting gay women and gay women's relationships has always been not always has been kind of salacious and saucy in the past and then gay men's relationship has been about struggle you yeah. know, and coming up against all the things that Moonlight discusses you know about what it is to be a man it's been around you know tipping the velvet I remember being so you know kind of kinky yeah it's considered kinky although you know I don't know whether my gay girlfriends mind that it's kinky you know maybe they no. want a bit of kink so but it's targeted at men it's like, oh, well, it'll be a bit hot and sexy. You yeah, know. you're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's something kind of salacious in the marketing. The comment that some people make about LGBT cinema is that it's a lot of long shots of hands swishing in court <coughs> and people talking about their feelings, and it's not enough. And actually, it hasn't been enough for 20 years. I mean, we just made a film, a uh, first feature called God's Own Country, from a filmmaker called Francis Lee, mm. who used to be an actor grew up in Yorkshire, his dad was a farmer, and he's made a very, I mean, it's not his story, but he's made a very, very sort of personal film about the relationship between two young men. And people are calling it a sort of British brokeback, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think the reason to me it's not, it's not quite that. Mm. I mean, it's that because it's, you know, they're Sex on a hill. Yeah, <laughs> sex on a hill. Always um, but yeah, uh, but, but, the, but the reason it's not quite that is because I mean I I think Brokeback's a really beautiful film mm. and it makes me cry thinking about it. I mean yeah. I just love it. Yeah, and I was very grateful for it when it came out because it was a big, sweeping, mm. tragic love story. Mm. And why shouldn't gay men have tragic love stories that they can own? Mm. But there's also an element of victim in gay characters where mm. you have to be sort of denied mm. your thing I mean I love a tragedy because I, I, I love mm. sort of despair yes. in, in cinema I mean I think it's a very A it's very cathartic and actually it's kind of enjoyable yeah. but I would like to see characters happy as well if it doesn't mean you, you're telling a kind of bland story so without kind of ruining the film there are things about God's Own Country which I really really sort of admired when we were first talking to Francis about it which was that he is a hopeful filmmaker mm. so his default is not that it has to end in tragedy yeah. that happiness can prevail yes. in a relationship that has historically felt doomed yeah and that feels like quite a basic right to have mm. as a gay character. And I think that cinema and like a lot of sort of continuing drama on telly needs to have kind of endings. Mm. So the dilemma for the filmmaker is, do you kill somebody or do you leave it ambiguous or do you let them be happy? And that feels sort of mildly progressive to me. Yeah, because the other strength of many strengths of God's Own Country but the other strength of God's Own Country is that neither of them are wrestling with their sexuality mm. they're gay right. Josh O'Connor's character's bag is that he's bored mm-hmm. on a farm 
and mm. he's already having sex with men mm. that's not it I'm glad to see a character not kind of wrestling with someone mm. because if you're beyond the point of wrestling with your own sexuality you want to see people experiencing I don't want to see people struggling to get a mortgage in a film but you kind of there's elements of just wanting to see some regular stuff going on yeah 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 so I mean I'll often watch a, I'll often watch a big film I was watching mm. Passengers last night right and I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with Chris Pratt these films cost sort of 150 200 million dollars to make mm. uh, will we ever see a film like Passengers where Chris Pratt wakes up a guy yeah because he has fallen in love with him yeah or will it always have to be Jennifer Lawrence yeah like that is that is the sort of persistent marginalisation, if you like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe that would be Brokeback Mountain in space. <laughs> Everything will be Brokeback Mountain something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's, you know... Something to aim for. Yeah, something to aim for, and maybe with the question of, you know, LGBT people are always going to be in the minority, and if you're making something for the majority, is it ever going to need to cater or want to cater to that? The reason I sort of feel quite hopeful mm. is because and we talked to a lot of filmmakers we just had the festival the, the Lesbian and Gay Film Festival mm. um, at the BFI Flare and we talked to we bring together sort of groups of emerging LGBTQ filmmakers and we sort of talked to them about opportunity and how hopeful they should feel about the kind mm. of careers they can form we are sort of drowning in derivative homogenous entertainment mm. and I do think that anything distinctive cynically kind of pops mm. so if it's a musical like La La Land mm. which I actually don't love mm. as a film I mean I think it's fine but I don't love it but I can see why it did well because it was this completely blindingly different mm. thing that mm. you couldn't get on Netflix you couldn't get on TV mm. you weren't seeing in the cinema so there is an appeal in difference, which I think will become more and more kind of pronounced. And I think mm. that I cannot decide of an evening what on earth to kind of settle on. Yeah. There's just too much. Yeah. Right? It's like the standard complaint, which is why we always watch MasterChef. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like, I can't think beyond okay. MasterChef. Like even, even MasterChef is like four nights a week, so you're always behind on that. I'm right? always behind on MasterChef. So, you know, there's too much. So... I do think there's commercial opportunity in mm. something being so strikingly different. I mean, like it was a sort of a hit and it won the Oscar, but it wasn't a hit hit. You know, mm. it did well, but it didn't do brilliantly. It did better than anyone would have thought it did. It was a sign of hope yes. that a film like Moonlight, which nobody would have sort of seen attracting such a kind of broad audience, mm. working, A, because it's just really good and it's really sincere and I think people kind of respond to kind of sincerity and truthfulness mm. if you like in, in cinema and it doesn't have to be your own experience I think there is a joy in experiencing someone else's life mm. that made me feel good that there was an appetite for something that was a window for a lot of people on a life that wasn't theirs but for a lot of people a kind of reflection of aspects of the, their life that was theirs mm. so big questions now are whether we are going to divide as a society in ways that politics have kind of driven us in certain different directions recently and whether that means that people will go kind of 
back into kind of tribes mm. and so that notion of everyone kind of coming together is a ridiculous kind of rainbow dream or whether actually we have become more kind of politicised we are more voracious for insight experience something that isn't kind of immediately our own and maybe yeah, that and you know maybe that's where the kind of the new politics will emerge i mean i think that mm. we're making a film at the moment about chelsea manning it's not a recreation it's a kind of doc mm. it will be a very sort of honest truthful exploration of someone transitioning and experiencing all the kind of pain and stigma of transitioning and you know maybe that's the kind of the new in your face form of storytelling which is we've settled into a certain kind of comfortable track yeah but we shouldn't because we're not actually there yet in lots of respects so i do think there's still a job of film and telly to kind of shake the tree a bit but it all comes down to money a lot of the time I mean, my responsibility is that our money is is not kind of money that needs to make itself back. So we can afford to kind of put it into stuff that is trying something. But Pride's a good example of a film that is structurally slam dunk. It falls into the heritage of British cinema, which is underdog, find some form of acceptance and triumphs against adversity yeah. if you like and everyone cries <laughs> the joy <laughs> and the film did fine but it, the film did not do what we thought it would do <clears throat> yeah I had a really interesting experience on the day that Pride came out when I'd read all of the reviews thought the film was fantastic it was you know five star reviews everywhere lead in the sun lead in the mail mm. I was kind of walking home on the Friday night and I was sort of thinking about it's chances for the weekend and I'd actually brought one of my dogs to work that day and I've got two hours and I was Mm. carrying one of my dogs home along the lane to my house and I live in the middle of nowhere in Kent and two girls sort of drove past in some kind of beta pole car kind of wound down their window and called me a fag which I've never I've never had that before full stop but to have it on the day that we were kind of releasing this film Mm. that I thought was going to triumph in sort of overcoming Mm. certain prejudices it took me down sort of five notches and I got home and I said to my partner look I think we should go to our local multiplex tonight and we should go and buy tickets for Pride Mm. and we should see who's there Mm. and it was completely depressing experience because A there was no one there right we might as well have been buying tickets for some kind of 18 rated hardcore gay sex film really because because you sort of step back into an environment which is so straight yeah and straightforward that asking for two tickets to see Pride suddenly felt really bold mm. and so I thought oh fuck you know this isn't going to work yeah. you know and the audience was small and what kind of people kind of straight middle aged couples who are probably on the liberal side of Ashford <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell in the short term what the kind of long term impact of films like Pride are I mean mm. Young Soul Rebels which was you know as I say my first experience was not a successful film mm. but it completely turned me on to it turned me on and mm. then it turned me on to cinema and it turned me on to sort of thinking about my sexuality in a more kind of 
explicit way. Yeah. So I mean that that's fine. I think that personal reaction is is sort of enough. Enough actually. Yeah, but no, I mean I think the idea was that that film was going to do you know forty million quid in the mm. UK and it did four. Yeah. So actually four million quid is not a bad result these days. That's what Moonlight took. Moonlight mm. was a big success and Pride was a big disaster and yeah they sort of took the same <laughs> they took the same amount of money. I think we have to keep trying. I think TV will do more. I think Netflix will probably do more. I think there's space on Netflix for those kind of narratives to mm. really emerge because I think they play the zeitgeist a lot. And yeah. I think there's kind of always questions around where kind of identity and sexuality and sex It'll always be zeitgeist. is always kind of zeitgeisty. Well, listen, thank you. You're welcome. For a man with a hoarse voice, you've held out for a very long time. I have, it's thank that you. strong black tea. <laughs> Thanks for the cake. Welcome back <laughs> to the <laughs> sensation <laughs> hour. <laughs> All six senses. Did that tickle your taste buds, people? If I may. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, did you sense an aura? If I may. I did. I not that's not what I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say that was our interview with Ben Roberts. Yeah, that's what I'm coming out of. Oh, okay. I'm coming out of the interview, that's my way of doing it. So that was my interview with Ben. Please still get in touch at Will Young, hashtag Homo sapiens. Please email hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Let's have a look at Twitter. Earlier on Twitter we asked you what's the most crazy slash impulsive thing you've ever done? Liam Nathan Nix has got my nipple pierced. Tattoos and piercings. Have you ever had an impulsive tattoo? Oh, I have. I had an impulsive tattoo on my bum, which is disgusting. It looks Ooh. like it looks like a surfer from the 80s has thrown up on one of my butt cheeks. Um, really? Whilst going through Finding Nemo. Um, What's it of? I'll show you. It's awful. And I had a belly piercing. That was impulsive. And did I had you? a chin stud put in. That was impulsive. How long did they last? The belly piercing was in for... Year and a half. Did you wear like short tops in order that people could see it? (laughs) No, but I wish I had. I mean, it was just. Oh, now you wouldn't even see it. And um, (laughs) the it's probably still in there. And um, Vinny Voodoo. I ate six mince pies in one go. Now I flipping love mince pies. I'm very excited because mince pies are in the shops. I can't get enough of the food. You know, Christmas '80s movies, and Eastenders omnibus. Oh my god. there was a John Barrowman concert. I remember this. It was on last Christmas. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he said to the audience was, uh, one of the things that people often ask me is, what's it like to be John Barrowman? <laughs> what? Yes. Really? Yes. I can't believe he said that. <laughs> That's... Sometimes... Imagine me saying that to someone. Christina Morocco has said giving up my safe old life and moving to Morocco age 49 how ironic that that's her surname oh no is that her her catchment name what do they call it catchment oh. name hashtag name handle handle yeah that's what they call so. them handles yeah that's my twitter handle yes <laughs> that's not what they're called is it it's yeah. a twitter handle yeah what do they call it your twitter name I don't know what's your handle yeah that's <laughs> mental <laughs> Joanne says she kissed a woman and then realised I was a lesbian. We get married next year. That's a great one. Oh, congratulations. Oh, this is nice. What's this one's handle? <laughs> uh, hey, hey, whatcha, what's, what's your handle, what's your man? Hand, what's your handle, bro? Hey, man, what's your handle? 
Paul Carroll. Can you handle this, Mr. Handle? <laughs> this is all because of Drake. <laughs> Bloody love Drake. I got my eyes on you. It's just brilliant. Yeah. It's just brilliant the whole thing. Paula Carroll says, went all the way to South Wales just to say hello to my friend to cheer him up as he had bad depression. Only stayed an hour and came back. Paula. I think that's, that's being a very good friend. John Smith spent 500 quid on a shopping spree right after I broke up with my ex. As I've always said, if there's a problem, throw money at it. <laughs> Honestly. If you're a hurting. If you're a hurting. If you're a hurting. Oh, lordy me, it's hot in here. Woo, someone get me a paddle. Well, why are you crying? I'm too. Say goodbye, homo. Homo. Say people. This is the end of season one. Uh, I feel sadness and I feel light. Oh, that's because of that's because of what that's because of what I said about your photography exhibition, isn't it? No, uh, the the, I you know what this exhibition will be the death. It's more of a movement, I'd say, Mm. than an exhibition. (laughs) (laughs) You remember punk, yeah? Well, this is the next big movement in art. Yeah. I am very excited about season two. We've already got some amazing yeses. Yes, we do, actually. We've been writing our letters like we always do. We have got incredible people. Thank you to everyone who has supported this podcast because we started with nothing and now we have friends. We would like to say a huge thank you to our listeners. We will keep you updated as to when season two will be. Thank you to our producers, Rob and Emlyn, who will... Not edit this out. This moment. They have in. to keep that in. Yes. I'm looking at them, talking yes. about them in the third person. Um, we will be doing a special Christmas carol concert. In Will's front room. In my front room with Nelly playing the tambourine and Esme playing the sweet baby Jesus. Oh, little homo Bethlehem, how see the light above Chris, bring the candle, hold the candle, Chris. I'm going for a cigarette. Goodbye, thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
powered by Spirit Studios.